0: Good morning. morning. Today's reading is gonna be Exodus chapter one, and you can find that on page 44 in the Pew Bibles. Um, So hopefully my voice will hold out for a whole chapter. (laughs) These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Um, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pytham and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, I might need some help on that, Pastor. Pua, okay. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live?
1: This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Carrie. You made it through indefatigably. Is that the right word? You were indefatigable. Um, Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for this wonderful story in Exodus, this true story. May we enter this uh, word of yours, and may we um, may we be changed in the ways you want to change us. Give us hope. Um, give us steadfast hope in your promises this morning. Amen. This week, I got a text from a friend. Um, and in the text is a picture of a Ukrainian man named Nikolai. Nikolai is standing with his arm around his wife, He looks to be about 40, and uh, three sons in the picture. They're standing at a park on some green grass. He has a wide smile, and the text said this, Hey friends, sad news today. Nikolai, who was staying at the orphanage in Mariupol and taking care of refugees, was killed today. Please pray for his family and all of his friends he's leaving behind. When we read the headlines about what's going on in Ukraine or elsewhere it's easy to forget that these are real people with real stories, real families, real kids, real names. And and this man Nikolai and thousands like him have lost their lives in Ukraine for what? For for the selfish ambition, evil ambition of some powerful person vladimir putin doesn't that just doesn't that just make you angry doesn't that just suck the hope out of you that's that's one example of the ways i think meg referred to it in the prayer so well that the world just seems so dark and everywhere everywhere you look it seems like evil is crushing good Maybe for you there's a personal situation where it feels like, like the wrong is, is overpowering good in your life. Like you've lost a relative to, to suicide or um, you're going through a painful time in your life. Or you just feel crushed down by all of the, the daily opposition of evil. If you ever feel like me, if you ever attempted to despair that the world is too dark, life is too hard, evil is too strong, then this story is written for you. This chapter in Exodus and this sermon is for you and for me. Because it reminds us why we can have hope. It doesn't give us pat answers. It doesn't skim over or gloss over the reality of the suffering and the evil and the darkness. But it does help us to take a step back And see the big picture, that God's promise cannot be overcome by evil, by the power of evil. Sometimes evil looks like this irresistible, unconquerable force, but God's promise is stronger. Sometimes it feels like evil may bring God's plan to a grinding halt. But God's promise moves forward quietly, steadily, Um, Unstoppable. So, this chapter of Exodus shows us an evil power resisting God's work and God's promise. And the more his promise advances, the more resistance it gets. So, let's look at this together. You know, this chapter and this whole book starts by reminding us that it's connected to the book of Genesis. In fact, These were never meant to be separate books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was all one single composition, one story that it was telling. So we begin in Exodus with kind of chapter two of this story, and it starts by reminding us of who these people are and where they are. Uh, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, and it lists the 12 sons of Jacob. Um, and there were 70 people in all who went to Egypt. Remember, Joseph um, essentially brought the family there and saved them from a famine, and now they've, they've, they've stayed there, and, they've, um, and they're starting to grow. Uh, look at verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Do those words ring any bells for you? If you've just read Genesis, have you heard those words before? Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said, Be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. This is almost word for word the blessing God gave to Adam and Eve, reminding us that God's blessing is in view here. It's, it's active. It's moving forward. The, the family is multiplying. Uh, life begetting life, begetting life. Generation to generation spreading. The family tree growing. And one of the Hebrew words here means literally they swarmed like insects. Swarmed. They just They just were multiplying and and filling the land of Egypt, probably the land of Goshen in Egypt where they lived. And this is a sign of God's blessing. In the Bible, life is always a blessing to be grateful for, not a burden to bear, not a problem to fix. Human life is a blessing to seek. But, or and, what is happening with this growing nation also is connected to a special promise that they have from God. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 12 what God promised Abraham? He said, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This promise is starting to come true in Egypt. The the people of God, the people of Israel are becoming a nation. They're maintaining their their family identity, their 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 cultural identity and yet they're multiplying and growing and being blessed. It is It's impossible for me to overemphasize the importance of that promise to Abraham in this story and in the whole story. Because, listen, God's plan for the entire world involves Israel, involves the descendants of Abraham. Without this promise coming true, there would be no Israel, no Bible, no Jesus, No salvation, no church, no Georgia Plain Baptist Church. We would not be sitting here today if this promise was not coming true. And right here in Exodus, we see the promise growing and picking up steam. But we see opposition right away. This is a pattern we see in Genesis. As soon as God does something good, um, evil rears its ugly head. Right? God creates the world. Adam and Eve sin. God saves Noah and his family, and then people spread out. People build the Tower of Babel. And here, uh, the nation of Israel is being blessed, and now evil rears its ugly head. Verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Now, this lines up with what we know of Egyptian history. In the 15th or 16th century B.C., there was a dynasty change. And um, whereas the Israelites were... Um, uh, were accepted and valued in, in Egypt, now suddenly they're seen as the outsiders. And the new dynasty, the new king, is paranoid about these immigrants in his country. And he stirs up popular fear and, and paranoia and comes up with a plan to oppress, oppress them. It's a tale as old as time, right? This happens all over the world. So look what they do. Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So what are we seeing here? The promise is building and growing. Evil opposes it. And so they enslave the Israelites. And, and the king of Egypt said, let's, let's get some labor out of these people. So they, the story says that the slave masters oppressed them. Um. Now, we can read this verse in a few seconds, but we're talking about decades of time passing. You know, thousands of of backs beaten and broken by this labor. Um, Families scarred. Um, Maybe it's even happening over centuries if there's more than one king it's talking about here. We know that Israel was in Egypt for 400 years total. Um, Moses was 80 when he came to um, lead them out of Egypt. So anyway, but this is a long time of, of hard conditions of slavery. Now, unfortunately, this is not just ancient history in an old book because modern-day slavery is, is very real. Um, listen, in fact, to this description of modern-day brick-making it hasn't changed much in a few thousand years. Brickmaking operations are big business in several developing nations. Usually resembling a rustic fortress, most are surrounded by walls seven or eight feet high to keep brick poachers out and to keep slave laborers in. They have a dark, otherworldly presence to them because of the dust and smoke that hang constantly in the air coating everything with gray and red soot. The kilns require extra labor because someone has to stoke the charcoal fire constantly to keep the air at optimum temperature. This is one of the worst jobs in an operation defined by awful jobs. Excruciatingly hot, dirty, and sticky, the workers covered with charcoal dust that mixes with the dust of clay and dirt until sweat-soaked skin begins to harden and crack. Before the bricks are ready for the kiln, they must be shaped and pre-dried in the sun. All day long, slaves perform the back-breaking labor of packing wet clay and straw into molds to form the bricks. They slap the clay into the molds, forming row after row. Then other workers, usually children, carry the bricks on their heads and set them out in the sun to dry. When they're dry enough to fire, the slaves carry them to the kiln to be baked. Hour after hour, day after day, weeks flow into months, months that fade into years with no relief in sight. This is a description of modern day brickmaking using slave labor. And that might be something of what the Israelites faced. The the man who wrote that description is named Gary Haugen, who started an organization called International Justice Mission, um, which works to try to end modern day slavery. Now here are some statistics from that organization. There are about forty million people forty million people enslaved right now around the world. More people than at any point in history. More people enslaved now than any point in history. One out of every 130 women in the world is a slave. One out of every four slaves is a child. Let that sink in. Doesn't evil seem so real and powerful? I mean, you can't even, like, think about this stuff without just... Feeling crushed and burdened and discouraged. Their slaves work in harvest fields, in brickmaking facilities, on uh, fishing boats, in sweatshops, in lithium mines for the batteries for our phones, um, in brothels. There is an active evil force in this world that is anti life, anti blessing, anti God. It's alive. It's real. People are oppressed. People are beaten down and crushed. People made in God's image. And in the story of Exodus, that power happens to be working through this Egyptian king. So back to the story. Does his plan work to reduce the population of the Israelites? No, exactly the opposite. It says they multiplied even more. It's like he's seeing them as this invasive weed in his country, and the more he hacks away at this weed, the more it spreads. So the king of Egypt ramps up his tactics. Verse 15, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Now, how much more evil can you get than killing newborn babies? Why would Pharaoh want only the boys to be killed? Initially, I thought, that doesn't make sense because it's the women who have the babies, right? But if all of the Israelite males are gone, then quickly these people will be assimilated into Egyptian culture. They'll, the women will take Egyptian husbands, and that maybe they'll still have some slave labor. And if the nation of Israel disappears, God's promise stops. That would be a huge victory for evil. But does this plan work? No. Verse 17, "...the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live." And then, of course, he calls them back. He says, why are all these boys living? And they say, well, the, he- the Hebrew women are more vigorous. Than they-, they give birth before the midwives can get there, which Meg and I know a thing or two about. Um, but that's a different story. Um, so the, the, imagine this story being told at a, a family meal hundreds of years after it happened. And when it gets to this point... And you hear about Pharaoh being outwitted by these two Hebrew women, the cheers go up, yeah, stupid Pharaoh, go midwives, like they're heroes and and honestly, Pharaoh looks like quite a fool, you know he's nothing he's doing is working. Um, his plans are backfiring, and he's even outsmarted by these these Hebrew midwives. but the chapter. Ends on a more ominous note. Verse 22 Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. We're going to hear a lot more about the Nile in, in Exodus and about water in general. It's very important in this book. The Nile River was symbolic of Egyptian power and of their religion, and of their culture. And so essentially, this is Egypt swallowing up Israel. All the boys being thrown into the water to drown. So we're left wondering at the end of this chapter, will God's promise continue? What about this? But there's this pattern. God's promise grows, resistance comes. The more it grows, resistance increases. But I will not be spoiling the plot of Exodus to tell you that the power of evil cannot overcome the promise of God. Let me say that again. The power of evil cannot overcome the promise of God. And during this, the next few minutes as I close, I want to really take that truth and focus it down into our lives because we need to remember this. We need to live by this truth. Sometimes the power of evil seems so powerful and so big and so real and unstoppable. From a human point of view, in the book of Exodus, all the power is on Pharaoh's side. He owns the land. He has the wealth. He has the legal power. He has the strongest military in the world. Egypt was the most powerful in the world at this time. And Pharaoh's controlling it. He has control of the slave masters. It looks like from a human point of view, evil is stronger than good. Stronger than the promise of God. When we look at the world today, the same thing. We see Putin and his army invading Ukraine. We see modern day slavery. We see the opioid epidemic, the mental health crisis, economic forces that crush the poor. Um, It seems like evil is this massive juggernaut that cannot be challenged. It will get whatever it wants. But we need to remember that God's promise cannot be overcome by evil. Little did Pharaoh know he was resisting the creator and king of the universe. And that never works out very well. I like to, to, I have this mental picture. I think of the promise of God as a seed. As a seed. And did you know that all of the concrete and asphalt and steel in the world cannot win against a seed? Right? No matter what, a seed will find a place to grow. And it will grow and it will grow until the roots crack the asphalt or break the concrete or split the boulder in half. Evil cannot overcome good. Now, we actually have, okay, so besides remembering this and, and setting our hopes in this, we have a part to play. We're not just spectators in God's plan. Look at these two Hebrew midwives, Hebrew midwives. Shifra and Puah. Isn't it interesting that these two women are named in the story and the king of Egypt is not? His legacy disappears. All he's known for is being another figurehead of evil. And these two women who feared God and resisted evil are memorialized forever in the story. Scripture is filled and life is filled with all kinds of unimportant important people, as a man named Christopher Wright says. People who aren't noticed, who don't have power, just ordinary people who obey God rather than man and who change the fate of of of, of nations of of the story. I think of people, Peter and John who preached the gospel even though the leaders told them not to. Or people like Corey ten Boom who um, housed and, and um, gave refuge to Jewish um, uh, people during World War II. I think of someone like Alva Sabin, a pastor of this church who, who drove the St. Albans, Georgia leg of the um, Underground Railroad to help escaping slaves. People like you and me who every day can choose to obey Jesus rather than the forces of evil. Even if it means sometimes um, civil disobedience. There might be a time in your life when you're forced to choose between obeying God or obeying the law. And when you obey God, Rather than an unjust law, or rather than go along with evil, you are, you're spitting in the eye of, an, of the evil forces and saying, God's promise is stronger. Evil will not win. But I would say this. We need to take the long view. We need to take the long view. Because when you are in it, when you're experiencing evil... It does feel like evil is winning, and sometimes on a small scale it does. I'm sure it felt that way for the parents who had their their sons taken from their homes and thrown into the river. It sure felt like evil was winning there. Or for the people in Ukraine in Mariupol who are being bombed out of their homes, where a maternity hospital was bombed last week. Doesn't that feel like evil's winning? It might feel that way in your life when you are going through a struggle that God is not saving you from right away, where evil things are happening and God is not showing up the way you think he should, and it seems like evil is winning. Whenever you're in that place, you have to remember the long view, because this story was written to help us zoom out and see that we are part of a bigger story where God's promise does prevail. Where, in the words of Paul, we are pressed, but we are not crushed, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, where sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? God's promise will Prevail. So when you feel that, when you read the headlines and feel discouraged, remember that there is a bigger story.
0: The bigger story for us
1: is the story of Jesus. All of God's promises and blessings reach their climax in Him, right? This story is part of the story of Jesus. He fulfills the promise of Abraham. And the evil powers of this world tried their darndest to stop him and to crush him and to halt God's plan through him. Remember King Herod the Great who ordered all the baby boys around Bethlehem to be killed. Does that that sound like what happened in, in Exodus? And yet Jesus escaped. Um... Satan tempted Jesus to, to throw away God's plan and to take a shortcut to power, but he didn't. Finally, Jesus was sentenced to death by crucifixion. And on the cross, all the powers of evil raged against him, and it sure looked like they won. Right? He died. He was, he was crushed by evil. And yet, in that moment of evil's greatest victory, evil was destroyed. The power of evil was defeated. The moment of its greatest victory became its moment of defeat. That's the way God works. And that's the way God will work in Exodus. So take heart. I don't know if you're despairing this morning about anything or if you tend toward despair and, and 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 gloom when you look at the world but remember the power of evil cannot overcome God's promise next week we're going to see how God's promise moves forward as God raises up a deliverer for the people of Israel let's pray Lord, this story is so important for us to remember and to internalize. I pray that it would not just be a nice, encouraging story, but that it would actually get into our, our DNA as people. That we would live in such a way um, uh, to be in line with the fact that your promises are indestructible and cannot be overcome by evil. Make us people of hope, people who spread your hope and um, confidence in, in your plans. We thank you that in your loving power, you have um, saved us and defeated evil and given us a place in your kingdom.